Hi, hello, namaste to all my listeners. I'm your host Sarthak Varshne, and I welcome you all to the Balls of Steel Show, where you get an insight into the business mindset of the entrepreneurs. Dhandoni Soch. So hi guys and welcome back to the Balls of Steel show and today we have another fabulous I won't use the word amazing because you guys have already heard me saying say amazing quite a lot of times so we have got another fabulous entrepreneur with us now the very amazing part that I am I am actually in love about this entrepreneur is that he has founded a company which is has been founded co- collectively between two places one in India and the other in Sweden okay that's in Stockholm so that's the first amazing part secondly the company that he's building and he's running right now has a lot to do with the environmental friendliness what it has got to do i would want him to tell you guys right but any company that is uh, working for the environment and making things better with their own with the motive that they're working for is just amazing and one of the another reason that i love that is because i'm a huge fan of apple fan and they also do the same stuff so huge respect for this company that we we would be talking about so without any further delay let me welcome on board shamik ghosh from trust trace hi shamik how are you hi sarthak i'm doing well thanks for the nice introduction <laughs> this is this is this is nice but i know the conversation is going to be even much 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 more nicer when we hear your entire story and we understand your business because as i said i'm very excited about the fact that you know you're doing something which is environment friendly and also you're doing something in a very very amazing space i know the space but i would want you to tell us so shamik with that said you know let me ask you a signature question that what is the business that you are into because of which we are going to say that you've got the balls of steel thank you okay uh, so we are a b2b saas impact tech platform okay uh, we are helping fashion brands and uh, retailers predominantly to uh, do this transformation from conventional product portfolio to a sustainable product portfolio uh we help that by, we help these companies to do that by knowing where the product is made mm-hmm. how it is made uh what is the environmental impact are they uh, making uh the society a better place uh, in that part in local communities uh, many such parameters uh, so generally uh, we are a force for responsible production and sourcing Uh, for the fashion industry mm-hmm. and which is quite a large industry with almost 1.5 trillion dollars globally right wow. so the impact is tremendous be it environment be it social be it ethical mm-hmm. practices and we are helping these companies to uh, turn up a very very big chapter or a page towards a sustainable fashion is what we do okay you have used quite a lot of heavy words shamik i would say that right? yeah yeah so maybe i'll simplify it <laughs> yes yeah, simplify. you will have to I simplify know, know, it know, yeah. you will have to simplify it before yeah. i do i would want you to simplify yeah. it and then i would do that probably again for my listeners so yes please simplify it once for my listeners that exactly what you're doing yeah very good so you sarthak you mentioned that you are an environment uh, a, a, a conscious buyer when it comes to environmental aspects true. right true. so first thing you demand from your 
from any fashion company from where you're buying a particular product right. you may want to know what is the environmental footprint of that particular product is it climate neutral or climate positive kind of a product uh-huh. or even if it is climate negative hopefully it is not too uh, bad or too damaging right True. so when you ask a question like this to a fashion brand uh, mm-hmm. they have a very very big challenge at present because most of the fashion brands do not know their supply chain beyond a tier 1 supplier and uh, mind you the fashion industry leverages mm-hmm. outsourcing of productions tremendously mm-hmm. almost 95% of the products are outsourced in manufacturing they are not produced by the factories that these brands own and now on top of it they do not know their uh, factories or supply chain beyond the last supplier who is supplying their products to them right now when they don't know the supply chain it is very very difficult for them to tell you what is the environmental social ethical or animal welfare kind of an impact of uh, that they are creating right right so we are helping these fashion brands to first do the complete supply chain or the value chain mapping mm-hmm. right from the source of the raw materials to the final product mm-hmm. in this whole process we identify the suppliers and their factories where these products are produced and when it is produced wherever they we typically work with the brands to help them to improve their environmental social or ethical uh, performances in simple terms suppose they will say that we want to become a climate positive uh, product or portfolio mm-hmm. so which means that each of the facilities or the factories may need to have some amount of renewable energy and all that right right now it is not may not be completely renewable now but it is a transition True. so we are monitoring the transition of the supply chain also giving them alternate supply chains which has the uh, which has got much better climate performance mm-hmm. suppose right right this is the second part we do which is what we call the supplier performance improvement mm-hmm. the third thing we do is material integrity mm-hmm. uh, so there is a s- tremendous demand for sustainable or organic materials in the world mm-hmm. uh, so much so that uh, if x amount of uh, organic or sustainable materials are produced in the world there is a 10x demand which means that a lot of suppliers are also falsifying the data Right. how do you protect the brand against because the brands are ready are ready to pay and many times paying a premium for sustainable materials but they may not be getting that mm-hmm. so we are have in our platform we are able to do the complete material integrity check and say that hey mr brand when you are buying through this particular supply chain the supply chain is delivering you the materials that they are claiming and you pay the right premium there so this is broadly what we are helping so value chain or supply chain mapping supplier performance improvement mm-hmm. and finally the material integrity and this we do for uh, quite a few large and ultra large and medium sized brands who have got very very complex supply chains there wow 
Wow, when you say ultra and we are and we are and we are a B two B SaaS platform, right? And you are a B two B. I just make one more data point. Mm. Uh, a fashion supply chain is a very very unique supply chain. Mm. Though we say that hey, fashion products are very different from uh, and cannot be so complicated because it is what finally a garment, right? And when you said that you have an Apple product and right. you have a fashion product, some of the fashion products and the supply chains, right? are actually much more complex than a electronic product also because right. of the volume of products that you are dealing with the second aspect is the fashion supply chain is a very very long supply chain mm. it can start from australia new zealand with respect to wool it can start from india or egypt with respect to cotton it can start from china or some place with respect to silk uh you have got recycled polyester and all that so tremendously long supply chain originating from different parts of the world and finally you will make a yarn or a fabric in a fifth, in a third location and you will stitch the garment in a fourth location and it will get delivered to the stores and uh, consumers across the globe so it is a very very complex supply chain for the value of the product i think the supply chain behind it is a very complex network there right that right. is why a platform like trustrace is uh, needed by the industry for them to even think conceptualize uh, any such responsible supply chain for there absolutely right here yeah. i mean <clears throat> I've got so much to think about right now. Firstly, when you mentioned mm-hmm. that you are catering to ultra large clients, I mean, I can think of only a few names, right? I won't name them, but I can only think of those. And if we are right, if we are on the same page, I guess you also know I'm also thinking of those brands. Okay, so I can understand yeah. to what you are catering to. Next thing, one thing which is very astonishing to me is that this is this this big of a problem. right the, which is what i would want mm. to understand from you and uh, mm. before we move to that mm. understanding i would just like to you know address to my listeners once that listeners i hope now that you have a very clear idea as to what shamik is doing right in terms of uh, he in terms of the business that he is creating he is basically providing transparency in the supply chain for the fashion products that you buy so the you buy it as a consumer but he is he has he has created a supply chain transparency for the brands from which you buy because brands have suppliers and manufacturers from which they uh, take uh, take up yarns or clothes or what not and you might know that you are purchasing from an x brand and they they are themselves claiming it that they have checked in everything but sometimes they don't even know not that they are doing it willingly but unwillingly they might also not know that the product they have purchased or the, or the uh, clothes that they have sourced are they actually original or not so that is exactly where shamik's company is coming into picture in solving that problem so that what the brand gets and what the consumer gets at the end is of the is completely authentic not is of the anything but it's is completely authentic when it comes when it comes to sustainable fashion i hope i said that right shamik right 
understood but is this problem that big actually that brands and medium sized brands are demanding to know that uh, they they want to know that from where is this coming from because what i'm trying to understand is if this problem is big enough then definitely there's a revenue model for your company if this problem is not that big enough then there might be there might not be that good of a revenue model so i would want to understand the scale of the market when we're talking about this yeah yeah uh so let's do a little bit uh, let's start from the top right okay. so fashion industry i mentioned is a 1.5 trillion dollar industry right 1.5 trillion dollar is the worth but again if mm-hmm. you add each suppliers and all that you are typically talking about a, a global gdp of around 3.5 trillion dollars being impacted from the fashion industry wow. right now this means revenue of the scale means that almost 10% of the greenhouse emissions is coming from this industry because right from the agriculture of cotton mm-hmm. uh, growing of uh, uh, different kind of uh, uh, raw materials uh, to processing of recycled polyester or polyester and etc right the impacts can be tremendous it can be impacting amazonian rainforest or rainforest in indonesia uh, to uh, you, we all have all heard about cotton uh, farmers uh, suicide in india mm-hmm. because of the low productivity and the low margins that they are being uh, pushed on uh, there then you have got social impact right uh, i think we all i think we have all heard stories about the sweatshops uh, in 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 bangladesh in vietnam in china producing the uh, the garments right uh, very recently the zinjiang cotton issue has been going where forced labor is being used in china to uh, uh, manufacture garments right, right? True. uh it is a very very widespread problem mm-hmm. in the uh, in the society because of a very very globalized fashion supply chain mm-hmm. uh we are not being we are not able to understand the impact but if it had been in our backyard you would mm-hmm. actually be sitting on a on a heap of filth when you are My making God. any fashion production right okay. uh, we got started also on a similar journey because we could see this very well so one of the co-founders of trust trace he comes from coimbatore and mm-hmm. coimbatore is very close to the the textile hub called tirupur right? right and there's a lot of water pollution which was happening from the dyeing factories there right Mm-hmm. and uh, that is what triggered him to move back to india he used to work in uk uh, his okay. name is sarvanan okay. and he moved back to india because he ha- his family was into farming mm-hmm. and they said that there are uh, ground water and the water sources are getting polluted more and more so mm-hmm. he moved back and along with that we started talking to him and all that and and you mentioned that how we are based between coimbatore and uh stockholm right and it was very interesting so four of us we used to work together in hcl uh okay. in, a, in a regular it jobs sales jobs and the 
IT delivery jobs. Uh-huh. But uh, when Sarva moved back to India, it actually triggered that, hey, we have also seen such kind of impacts in our society from other places. Like I come from, I grew up in Madhya Pradesh and I, I come from Calcutta. Uh, right. where the ponds and the lakes are, are now being um, landfilled to make construction, right? So mm. we have seen these impacts coming and we said that, okay, uh, me and the other co-founder called Rishi, we are based in Stockholm and Stockholm is the Silicon Valley of sustainability, right? And the mm. basic fundamental principle of living in, in Sweden is that you need to take care of your environment right. uh, there. When you... And then we started talking to a few of the folks here and we said that mm-hmm. this, this is the kind of impact and the problem that is going on in India. And we could find some very, very uh, sustainability-oriented uh, fashion leaders who then said that, hey, we know this problem. We want to find a solution and the solution can be found if we can get real-time data about the production processes so that we can take corrective action. And that was this, uh, the the beginning of the journey of Trust Trace. But coming back to your question about the impact, right? Right. Now, we are talking about an industry of the scale of $1.5 or $3.5 trillion, the way you, you do your maths right. uh, there. And they are creating such a tremendous impact. So if the world has to achieve the uh, Paris Climate Agreement commitments, right, mm-hmm. you cannot do it without fashion industry undergoing a major transformation mm. right you can today i think sustainable fashion is a niche it cannot be right. a niche and it will not remain a niche in the next five to eight years time and that is now being understood not only by consumers mm. but at least uh, governments in europe and the us they have put very very strong focus so there is a law in europe called product environmental footprint mm-hmm. where a brand needs to if they're making a claim that it is a sustainable product they need to have the full evidence right from the source of the raw material to the final product there is a regulation in uh, or trade uh, directive in us on cbp by which mm-hmm. they are preventing or stopping any forced labor related products to enter that market right Mm. so consumers and compliance are very very big drivers for uh this for our industry or our solution there uh there Mm. and the third one which is also driving a lot of uh, change and acceleration in the industry is we now see emergence of sustainability first fashion companies so their fundamental principle of the way the uh, products are made is that I, more than fashion, I my existence is there because I want to only produce sustainable garments. There. That's right. Uh, and these companies are giving run for the money to many established brands. Mm. Uh, so companies such as Patagonia, like Houdini, who were like working on the fringes, uh-huh. now they are the mainstream in the fashion world. Very true. Very true. Wow. So that means this is a considerably big problem. And when we're talking about $1.5 trillion market, which is globally, I mean, uh, 
उसका वन परसेंट भी पता नहीं बहुत ही बड़ा होता है यार क्या कितना क्या सर्विसेबल मार्केट इज समवेयर इन द रेंज ऑफ अराउंड 300 मिलियन डॉलर्स वाओ सो गाइस सिंस शमीक हैज मेंशन दिस आई वुड जस्ट लाइक टू क्लियर दिस अप फॉर यू एंड प्रोवाइड दिस स्मॉल बिट ऑफ नॉलेज दैट व्हेन यू टॉक अबाउट मार्केट साइजेस देयर आर थ्री टाइप्स ऑफ देयर आर थ्री डिफरेंट मार्केट साइजेस वन इज टैम व्हिच इज टोटल एड्रेसेबल मार्केट दैट मींस द टोटल साइज ऑफ द मार्केट दैट नीड्स दैट कैन बी पॉसिबली एड्रेस्ड बाय अ कंपनी देन देयर इज सैम सर्विस एड्रेसेबल मार्केट ओके दैट इज यू नो दैट इज अ सबसेट ऑफ द टैम लाइक ओके विच कुड बी टेन परसेंट ट्वेंटी परसेंट ऑफ द इंटायर मार्केट साइज विच यू वुड बी केटरिंग टू सो फॉर एग्जाम्पल द इंटायर फैशन इंडस्ट्री इज वन पॉइंट फाइव ट्रिलियन सो द यू नो द नीश ऑफ सस्टेनेबल फैशन इज लेट्स ए टेन परसेंट और लेट्स ए वन बिलियन राइट दैट्स अ टैम ना आउट ऑफ दैट टैम देन देर इज अ सॉरी दैट इज सैम ना नाउ देर इज अ सोम दैट इज सर्विस सर्विसेबल ऑप्टेनेबल मार्केट आउट द मार्केट दैट यू वुड एक्चुअली बी केटरिंग टू राइट सो दैट इज एक्जैक्ट percentage of the market that you would be capturing that is your client so as shamik mentioned that is 300 million us dollars so yeah that was a bit piece of knowledge in case you didn't know you know it now so that thank you so much for that kind of clarity shamik it gives us a very big understanding as to why you have gone into this market and how the story started and the journey so we already given the initial bit of the journey now shamik help us understand the process of your business right so let's say you onboard a brand right first of all Mm-hmm. I would actually want to understand that how do you pitch to a brand, right? Are they actually looking for a yeah. service like this, or are you going on a cold run that you know we will be doing this and this will help you so and so ways, and then you close a deal and for for mm-hmm. for the foremost, right? So one is that I would want to understand that how you're getting to a brand. The next thing, like once a brand is on board, how does the whole process works, right? In the software, how does this work? Mm-hmm. How is this benefiting in terms of cost? How are the saving costs and all those stuff? So help help me walk through the process, please. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. That. So, uh, typically, uh, we we segment the market, right? Because okay. it is such a very big market. I cannot and I and, and we are a startup or a scale up from the whichever way you want to look at it. Right. So, anyway, we have got limited resources. We have got limited resources in terms of time, effort, and money. Right. So, I have to put the uh, this in the right best use for me. Right. Uh, there. So, what we typically do, we have we have segmented the market into. three fashion segments which nice. is uh sports goods mm-hmm. uh and outdoor fashion uh, which is this typically like your adidas nike kind of brands mm-hmm. plus outdoor like you have if you are in europe or north america you are wearing jackets of different kind different kind of outdoor gears for mountaineering or trekking or these kind of things right this is one group this is okay. typically i would say growing very very fast thanks to covid because people have now started wearing uh, track suits in <laughs> instead of wearing formal trousers so this 
this hmm. market is growing right. from around what 200 billion dollars or at a growth rate of almost 20% cagr wow. to it will hit around 4450 billion in next 3 to 4 years time right my goodness okay uh, the second one is a high street fashion and this right. is typically consisting of uh, your the h&ms the zaras the mm. gaps uh, right. uh, of the world plus right. various other uh, this is the largest segment of fashion and uh, but it is not growing as fast and it has got a lot of questions to answer when it comes to uh, uh, how can you get a t-shirt at uh, uh, 400 or 300 rupees uh, mm-hmm. kind of a thing right mm-hmm. uh, then. then the third segment is the luxury segment uh, this right. is super premium segment you have got uh, the louis vuittons the chanel's the mm-hmm. uh, the michael courses of the world there right so these are the broad three segments okay and in these segments also if i do a sub categorization you will have sustainability leaders uh-huh. sustainability challenges and sustainability laggards right right, right. typically our we, we try to qualify a customer by the uh, by which segment which is mm. the which like is a sportswear or is it luxury or high street because their de- needs can be very different mm-hmm. and the urgency can be very different because mm-hmm. if you are a sportswear company mm-hmm. your consumers may be much more conscious about sustainability because they are so close to the nature right everybody is going for uh, uh, trekking to the nature and all they don't want to harm the nature they will be very worried about the plastics being thrown there and then they do plugging and all that kind of thing right, right. you find such kind of group mm-hmm. so they and in that uh, segment if there is a company which has a stated strategy that i want to be a leader through sustainability they that company is my absolutely uh, must go account or customer that i want to have right mm. so i typically do this matrix or two by two matrix with a segment they belong to and what is their maturity level when it comes to sustainability typically a company which is sustainability leader or sustainability challenger is my core focus uh, across these three industries if it is a laggard but also we say that they are very badly affected uh, business metrics like revenue and bottom line then also we pick up some of these cases but right. then it, they have to be either in the sportswear or outdoor group because they are most affected by the consumer trend understandable right 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 so this is how i qualify most of because i have got a very very specific target market around 300 to 350 customers mm-hmm. i do not use advertisement a lot right. i typically go by word of mouth a lot or uh-huh. doing very uh, to, uh, a lot of content based marketing that this is mm-hmm. what we are doing uh, with and if you guys are interested please talk to us kind of a thing mm-hmm. word of mouth has been the biggest source of our uh, uh, uh new deals uh, mm-hmm. and thanks to our core group of customers that we had early on and then they have uh, helped us to introduce in fact they because of the performance of the platform and everything they and, and how the team works with them very very collaboratively they very openly introduce us to their peers in other companies uh, right. and in a way it is of, out of their self interest also because the cost there is a cost of compliance and cost of sustainability 
True. If two brands typically are uh, working together to collect the data and verify the data and validate the data, mm. they reduce the cost for both the companies, right? For example, if Adidas okay. and uh, Nike are using the same suppliers and one of them have got a data in our platform, mm. the other can, I can, uh, can, both of them can agree to share the data and then the cost of that uh, working with that supplier goes down for both of them. Right. So many a times there is a word of mouth uh, through which a brand will introduce us to another brand there. Uh, that is how typically we get to know them. A typical cycle for us to close the deal can vary anywhere between mm-hmm. six to nine months. Okay. Uh, but now what is happening is because that, so when we started, traceability was not a very, very well-defined category in the market. Right. So we had to establish and educate the market a lot. What does traceability mean? Why is it a necessary thing and all mm-hmm. that? So we have done the, that amount of, uh, of awareness building in the mm-hmm. first three years. Right. And last one, one and a half years, we see that a lot of inbounds are coming because now companies want to really get onto this bandwagon. Uh-huh. And now we see our typical deal cycle reducing to around three to four months kind of uh, a thing, which is very, very good news for us. Right. Uh, there. And, uh, and yeah, so and, and we are a global B2B SaaS platform. So though we are based predominantly in Stockholm and Coimbatore, uh, we can cater to customers across the globe. In fact, in the last quarter, we signed our first Japanese customer as well as our second US customer, uh, though we are based in Europe and Asia there uh Uh, yeah so and what happens now is suppose now Uh a brand has come and started uh working with us Mm -hmm. uh first three to six months goes in us integrating into their different platforms because they will have their uh uh, design uh stored design stored in a plm software which is a Mm -hmm. product lifecycle management software uh there they will have their financial data, supplier data in uh, their ERP system, which is uh, they use for uh, uh, SAP or an Oracle or an right, Info right, kind right. of tools. There, uh, we integrate into those platforms. We also have to train the core users, like the buyers, the the designers, the sustainability analysts, the production controllers, about how to use the platform, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we do not, and, and sometimes we have to also train the suppliers, but with the intention that the first couple of trainings we will do for the suppliers, mm-hmm. but thereon the brands can do that training on the on uh, on the on their own with the suppliers. Mm-hmm. There. Uh, so this whole process typically takes anywhere between three to six months, depending upon the maturity or availability of the uh, business and the IT teams from the brand. Right. And once that happens, they then start rolling out the platform in a phased-wise uh, manner. Uh, typically, they will either go by product category, they will either go by materials, or they will go by uh, any other specific criteria that they may have uh, there. And typically, the pro- the system is in full production in six to eight months' time after the initial go-live. Right, there. right, right. Yeah, and... Uh, 
how the system typically works is mm-hmm. the brands typically introduces the platform to the suppliers their core suppliers which is the tier 1 suppliers uh-huh. uh then the tier 1 suppliers will also push it to the tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 kind of suppliers and all of them start putting in the data into the platform uh along okay. with this uh, access to the data access to the platform i think there's generally a uh, a strategic supplier program which is run by the brand to uh, to incentivize the supply, the suppliers to share this kind of a data right there right and then the supplier starts putting in the data uh, we and we we do uh, i think the brands typically tell them very clearly yes we do understand you have to do a uh, lot of improvements but we will work with you in improving your performance because this is not a journey of uh, one one or two months this is a mm-hmm. journey of few years or decades because this whole transformation is easily going to take at least 5 to 10 years there wow that's that's yeah. great yeah so what we have also done in this process is uh-huh. so as you know once you have so much amount of data in the platform mm-hmm. uh, we are creating a very very sticky relationship with the brands and the suppliers uh-huh. uh, there so typically our churn uh, uh, has been very very low it is less than 2% in our number of customers we have lost till date Uh, from the beginning wow. uh, which is a very very healthy metric for us right. uh, second thing is that because we are collecting so much amount of data this data can be used tremendously uh, by the brand not only for sustainability but also for aspects like uh, supply chain disruptions like nowadays uh, with the covid uh, one country going on lockdown here another country going in lockdown in another part of the world Uh, then this current uh, bad war going around mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing leads to significant amount of supply chain disruption so if a brand knows the supply chain though our, our intention of being traceability is to have sustainable transformation but they get really good quality data they can use this good quality data to improve their supply chain performance there uh maybe if if your listeners want to know mm-hmm. if they should check out the the bull whip effect in the supply chain ah. and uh, now and we have all seen right nowadays all this electronics delivery are getting delayed cars yeah. uh, productions getting delayed mm-hmm. uh, that is a effect of bull whip effect and that is across industry right. and it is also impacting the fashion industry so our platform can be used to understand where the uh, whole production process lies which are the risk hot spots hmm. uh, with respect to that wow <clears throat> i mean that is insane because listeners i don't know if you can understand this or not but try to understand when you have so much data with you na you can actually create disruptions because now you have a clear visibility as to what is happening how it is happening when it is happening where it is happening right and when you have all that data visible to you in one place you can make exceptionally fast and quick decisions to improvise according to the to the situation and that will add to the better production better management and better deliveries and definitely when that happens you move towards you know production efficiency which leads to cost management and cost reduction also so wow yaar shamik this is an insane insane amount of work that you guys are doing bringing out the transparency 
Wow. So, Shamik, now that we understand yeah. the entire process, and I'm hoping that uh, you know you have explained it with so much patience, and you know I don't know, I don't have the right word very honestly, but I, all I can say with so much patience, grit, and so much passion that you explain it, I'm hoping that all of our listeners have already understood it. Right. So now, Shamik, to help me understand, like, uh, what are the primary mm-hmm. countries that you're catering to? Is it only India, or is it like, uh, as you said, you have got two clients from Europe, one from Japan, or or which is your first mm. first country? Which mm. is your second biggest market? Tell me your market uh, globally. How are you? How how are you catering to it? Yeah. So generally, the awareness of sustainable fashion or sustainability per se is very very high in the Nordics and Scandinavia, right? And I mm-hmm. think uh, that has been a very very big asset for us. In fact. Uh, when we started building the platform, we none none of us apart from Sarva who has grown in a textile town. Uh, we come from the fashion industry and we have never worked with the fashion industry so much. Hmm. So while we knew the problem, uh, we did not know the domain so very well. So I think we actually worked a lot with uh, sustainability leaders uh, from uh, Sweden like Houdini, Philippa K, small brands, but very, very passionate about uh, sustainability. And they spent a lot of time with us in co-creating the solution. Because you have to understand what is the nuances of the industry very, very well when you are creating a business uh, system. And this system is a business critical system, right? You just cannot take it right here. Chalta hai attitude in this. You have to be very, very precise with what data you are collecting. Why should a supplier even spend one second of their time in uploading this information, etc., etc.? Right. True. Uh, there so uh, uh, once uh, so yeah so Scandinavia is our home market when we sell and we only charge the brands to use the platform suppliers they do not pay a penny to use the platform uh, because we know that suppliers are working already on very very thin margins there's no point in putting another load of uh, financial pressure on them put uh, paying for a platform like ours so only we charge the brands uh, there. Uh, so in a, in a way, we are a, like a socialist company. We only charge the rich, not the poor. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where so, the Robin Hood comes into picture, guys. Take a look. Yeah, at the end of the day, you have to bring some amount of... Yeah, the guys who get the maximum reward should also right. bear the maximum amount of the risk. Also. Right, uh, yeah, so we are then... Uh, so the brands that we sell into the brands, which means we have, we have sold a lot into the... The Nordic brands, the continental Europe brands like Germany, France, uh, there, and also UK now, mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, this is what I call our home market. Is Europe largely is our home market, and they have the conscious levels on sustainability is very high, and there's a lot of regulation in play here. <sighs> then we had also expanded into the US after the Biden administration came. There were some big laws which were passed in there, which supported environment related compliance etc there and that led to a significant amount of demand for a platform like Trustface. so that is the market we are trying to enter we have been talking to a lot of brands in india mm-hmm. and uh, asia but i think uh, uh, the awareness at least in japan is very high now mm-hmm. japan and korea and australia and i think right. they are started talking to us and we mm-hmm. have just signed up with a large brand in Japan 
there mm-hmm. and uh, the most of the uh, like if you take take china india uh, kind of market there are smaller brands who are focused on sustainability and they are typically trying to make this work using putting more people on the job mm-hmm. rather than using a tech platform there right. so it is not Uh, so we have not seen a large brand taking it up so that may happen in some time soon so that is where we are so as of now we are putting mm-hmm. all our energy when it when it comes to sales and marketing and business development into europe and the us there wow so, uh, having said all of this uh, uh-huh. sub- supplier engagement is also a very very big part of our business because mm-hmm. the suppliers have to feel trust and they should uh, find it very easy because the, the system should be intuitive for them to upload the information otherwise it will lead to uh, uh, fatigue in their in their minds to upload so much amount of information so we engage with suppliers and that we do a lot in india in china vietnam bangladesh uh, which are the major hubs of uh, a uh, fashion supply chain uh, but also to other companies we have got now what 8000 suppliers spread across 75 countries uh, mm. and uh, we are almost processing uh, 1.5 million transactions every month in the in our platform wow that's that's yeah. insane yeah that's insane my god yeah. I mean the idea is so great the market that you're catering to is so great but yes I do understand the fact that the APAC region the awareness is pretty much low and it would just need time and it's about time that you know mm. post covid that in the indian markets are uh, you know they are raising to the next level in terms of awareness not just in fashion sustainability but in other areas also so it's about time that you know there would be a call from india coming to you shamik and they would be demanding that shamik okay we need your platform for so and so requirements right I, i look forward for that day to happen for you shamik okay so shamik with that yeah absolutely looking forward to that <laughs> being coming from india we want that <laughs> yes 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 so shamik with that said you know we have understood the major big nuance of your business that how is the business actually functioning who are you charging who is paying you and how the things are happening now going a bit into details so shamik like you said that it takes about 3 to 6 months to integrate your system with the brand system and all those things for the mm. for, for for that to happen and then about in about 6 months time the software is you know up and running via different uh, areas of of the brand that work uh, together right so once the software is up and running in the company's ecosystem so from there on how long are you working with the company is it a, is it a lifetime project is it like one year two year or are you deploying your officers in the company's management how is that part functioning like the post sales service mm. like i'll i'll consider like 6 months is your selling mm. time right so post sales service how is that mm. happening for you guys so we are a b2b saas platform so mm. we so it is like a, a fashion brand will buy our platform as they buy a, a erp platform or a plm platform or any of these are supply chain management platform uh, kind of a thing uh, and typically if you relate to a salesforce world it is a we are right. delivering it using uh, the clouds uh, cloud saas model right mm-hmm. uh, there it's a multi tenant cloud model Uh, which means that we do not have local offices uh, in any of the countries mm-hmm. yes of course for relationship building in some countries like in france you have to 
invest into a French speaking person because uh, that's the nuance of the market there right uh, but generally we do not set up too many sales offices we typically work out of our core offices like in stockholm and coimbatore uh, and we service all of these companies in fact during the covid in fact we have we have not had any physical meetings also so, and we have closed almost uh, 10 plus contracts uh, in the covid period right and all was done using mm-hmm. zoom meetings and the uh, teams meeting which shows that the value that the product delivers to these uh, companies there uh, also when we implement a solution like ours we are interacting with teams which are very very global uh, because the production team in a f- particular brand will be spread from hong kong to singapore to india to bangladesh to turkey to us uh, different parts of the world right so mm-hmm. you can there's no point in having a local office for this so we typically work in the uh whatever global time zone <laughs> they, okay. they put some amount of pressure on our uh, yes. em- employees and and they teams, don't get to sleep yeah, I know. Uh, we also are there right mm. uh there uh yeah so i think the we uh, uh, the, our customers also are with a global mindset we are of coming from a global mindset mm-hmm. but we do understand still from the supplier perspective we have to localize a lot so we actually support the plat- the platform is available in in 25 plus languages also wow. so they can fill in the information in the local language it will get translated automatically to maybe a european language or to a english uh, and the reader or the user in europe or, or can choose their language and they can they only have so it, the auto translation is is a very very big feature for us and then usually we support a lot of uh, support through chatbots and uh, our own uh business services team wow to 25 languages is great mm-hmm. so are these all or 25 international or ya phir isme majority indian languages hain bache hue international how how is that function no, mostly mostly international india <laughs> still largely is english and uh, somewhat i think hindi okay. but mostly it is uh, international mostly in international like vietnamese chinese uh-huh. uh, turkish italian mm-hmm. uh kind of thing Yeah. Okay. Okay, I get that. So that is how you're functioning with the brands in terms of the post-sale service. I get it. Okay. So Shamik, now we have the understanding how you're pitching to them, what you are pitching to them, why are you doing that, how is it happening post that, and everything. So the entire business cycle is clear to us. Now help me understand your business timeline. Like when, which year did you started? and how much time did it take you to build your first product and raising your first investment tell me about that part so we started in december of 2016 formally uh, okay. so all four of us we started talking to each other uh, on this idea somewhere around uh, august of 2016 okay. uh, there uh, and then we started uh, uh, ideating creating prototypes and all that but then of course the need and and the requirement because we wanted to form a, a proper company uh, we started by bootstrapping it uh, there uh, mm-hmm. then uh, because we were building a b2b saas platform and it, it takes a lot of effort and money in the initial years to build that up right so we uh, so one of the co- one of the co-founders which is uh, Uh, Sarva got full time into it in mm. from from the get go from August of 
uh, Rishi he quit his job and got full time into it into mm-hmm. it in 2017 end and uh, then uh, both of them were uh, running the show and all that and then me and Madhav mm-hmm. uh, we uh, were, were like weekends and uh, and evenings were dedicated to trust face right. and then in 2019 uh, we all got full time when we raised the seed capital right uh, in between 2017 and 2018 uh, we were actually supported by two uh, decent sized grants which we won from the uh, swedish innovation uh, agency mm-hmm. under the ministry of industry uh, there for mm-hmm. almost half a million uh, dollars which was a big boost for us uh, mm-hmm. there and uh, we and actually one good thing that we did is very very early on we we actually started uh, while we were building the platform mm-hmm. we were talking to customers and prospects and getting sort of the initial contracts done not a very very uh, i would say uh, uh, lucrative contracts but still a commitment from them that they will start using the platform right mm. uh, which which does two things one thing is that uh, you get some revenue coming in which is always because some money if you say that somebody is trusting you with this uh, uh, the uh, with the solution right mm. and using the solution then second part what it uh, helps is that you start getting to get what how they are using it you start getting the usage data and then you know what kind of uh, where where the glitches are what kind of problems the users are facing so both ways i think it was very very useful for us uh, real revenue started flowing in from 2019 onwards for us God, okay. but before that we were generating some revenue and i think from 2019 onwards we have been growing uh, on almost 4x year on year uh, uh, wow. every year and this year also the target is to grow a 4x uh, and then yeah that's what the That's why you know guys Shamik actually said call us a startup or call us a scaling startup what he was actually meaning is call us a high growth startup okay i i said that for you Shamik <laughs> <laughs> I, I I said that why I should be calling you high growth startup. My God, that's a that's a huge growth that you guys are showing, and thank you so much for the you know such clarity and timeline. And I and and Shamik, you know, talking to you makes me feel like you are always very clear in terms of what you are doing, why you're doing, how you're supposed to do it, right? So I can just. get to that so i i feel so that in the, in your company probably you might be the person who's playing the role of clarifying everything and coming to a conclusion is that right or am i wrong somewhere no actually we are four co-founders and i think this was a great uh, and i think uh, you have got four four legs on the, in a chair i think that is there is a reason for it uh-huh. uh, we actually came in because we used to work in uh, in in eight cell technologies actually we all uh-huh. four were working there Uh, uh and uh, we had built up a bond amongst ourselves because we had delivered very very uh, uh, complicated projects digital transformation projects for large companies such as abb volvo cars and all that kind of thing right, right. uh th- this bond was there but it was generally we used to call it friendship right but uh, mm-hmm. when we started start the uh, trust phase i think what brought us i think it moved from friendship to family where we can call each other names but it remains there right it, you never yeah you feel bad for the moment but in re- retrospective you always know that okay 
uh, that guy was right and i think yeah it's okay for us to go ahead and, and because the mission is to make trust trust grow and stand on its feet uh and mm-hmm. it it actually brought four of us very very close to mm-hmm. very to be very frank i think uh and i have this uh, uh somebody told me this that actually when you are having a startup there should be a general there should be a philosopher there should be an engineer <laughs> and then there should be an uh a a customer friendly person right. uh, there right uh, if you have these four people you have so we do play this role multiple times in different configuration but right. then we have got madhav who is sort of the philosopher always standing and calling a spade a spade ah. uh, i am mostly trying the uh, to drive the company towards a north star that okay we should grow we should grow this mm-hmm. fast we have got rishi who is a fantastic relationship guy miss you can push that guy in midnight in a party and he will come up with some three leads from that and say that okay tomorrow morning we have got meetings with these customers to wow. sell the platform to them and then you have got uh, uh, sarva who is actually uh, like a, a generalist but uh, a very 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 smart guy uh, there uh, who mm. can actually pull a lot of a lot of uh, things in one go and he was the guy who came in first so he was able to do prototype meet customers uh, made things together there wow yeah wow that's, that's that's a great explanation to what i said so i believe that i was wrong in saying that some way you guys are playing important roles in every part of it okay so shamik now let's talk about your journey so before you started this yeah. you know trust trace right Why don't you tell me, like, mm. where were you born? Where were you brought up? What does your family do? Like, from the very beginning to the trust mm. trace point. Ah, mm. mm. uh, yes, I think uh, I have. Uh, so I have done schooling in eight places, uh, and thanks to my dad for that. Wow. <laughs> he was working in a. Uh, so he used to work in the cement industry, and he was uh, uh, a specialist in setting up new factories. So. Mm-hmm. uh, uh he is my, my father side is from calcutta my mother side is from uh, rachi uh, there uh, i was born in rachi but i grew largely between calcutta uh, very very few years and then i had most of my schooling in madhya pradesh and chatisgarh uh, not in very big cities but okay. in uh, each cement factory will have their own colony and a school uh, associated with it and we, i will typically be going to school in those uh, 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 those places uh, that's how i grew and then i 11th and 12th i did it from uh, jabalpur and then mm-hmm. i did my engineering from uh, indore uh, from G, uh, sgs its uh, college mm-hmm. there uh, from there got campus uh, hired by hcl info systems went right. to delhi worked in noida for around 2 years wow. and then i was moved into malaysia i was in malaysia there for uh, 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 for 6 years in between kuala lumpur and penang oh, wow. uh, there uh, okay. then 2008 i moved to uk for a year okay great year to move i was in sales and business development in uh-huh. in 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 hcl and i go in I, we moved in in july and uh-huh. in uh, september the lehman brothers happened right. <laughs> so, so very tough year that way right. and then in 2009 
uh, we again it, it was expanding into Europe, so I moved into uh, Sweden uh, and have been here since then. So thirteen years in Stockholm. Now that is the longest I have been in any 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 right. city in the world. <laughs> so I can call Stockholm to be sort of my home now. <laughs> oh wow! And family wise, uh, I'm the only kid. Uh, my and then my. Uh, uh, live in stockholm with uh, wife and uh, i have a four year old son wow uh, yeah there so he keeps me busy at home and plus uh, <laughs> uh, keeps me engaged always yeah all right wow yeah that's 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 a great one that's that's a very detailed journey that's quite a lot of places that you've been to honestly and i i can just imagine the kind of life that you have lived probably i would need another one hour to explore that kind of life but one thing which i would want to know that when you decided to how was the transition from uh, being an employee to being an employer so you quit your job mm. to start a startup how was that transition how difficult was it for you uh good and bad and i will say i think my inspiration was uh, uh, was it was a very real life inspiration so in 2015 i i uh, got into an executive mba program you can mm-hmm. call it midlife crisis or whatever so mm-hmm. i just thought maybe I, I i need a a break and a skill upgrade i got into an executive mba program it was a program called trium which is between london school of economics hec paris and york stern very very international cohort wow uh, a group of 67 people uh, coming from 34 nationalities and all that it was crazy uh, uh, good quality people right mm-hmm. one thing which and, and it was uh, I, I was not the youngest but i was not the oldest i was i would say maybe in the in the third, the the thirty percent young people kind of people there, right. uh, there. So I, we had, ex- I could meet up with people who have succeeded, who have reached a certain place, right. and they had reached it through very very different way than I my career was going. I was I was in one company sort of plus, uh, though I had got very interesting roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I was in a very, very comfortable zone. Yeah, I, I know the, I knew the, the CXOs very, very well. I knew the board chairman. Which, uh, at times, you could go and also meet up with the CEO as well as sometimes the ship Nader will come and meet you and all that. So it was that comfort zone that you a good cocoon, right? You say, right? You push yourself, but you still know if you fall back, right. <laughs> you, 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 you have got a good mattress uh, true, true. Uh, there. Uh, but when I get went to the exec MBA program, I saw that the potential if you unshackle yourself and and in the exec MBA program they gave us an opportunity to run an entrepreneurial project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were four guys and none of us came from the art background and we set up an online art market in flat seven months. Wow. Uh, it was a street art that we were a market for European street art in. Uh, Asian cities, predominantly targeting uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and mm. Tokyo. Mm. Uh, there, mm. uh, and it was an excellent experience, and I I could very well see that with the kind of skills that I had developed over the over the years, mm. how they it can be deployed and can give exponential growth there. 
with that belief, uh, uh, I left the exec MBA program mm-hmm. and uh, I started talking to uh, Sarva, Madhav and uh, Rishi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rishi and uh, Sarva always had the intention that we should start something of our own, even when they were part of my team mm-hmm. uh, in HCL. They used to push me, though I was the manager, but they will say, come on, you do, we should do some, let's do something on, on our own. And uh, I used to be the uh, typical corporate guy, loved my uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hotel mileages and uh, right. uh, travel mileages because it was, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bragging currency in its own way in, right. in those cultures, right? right. Then. Uh, so it was a comfortable life. But what was, uh, and I could very well see that I can easily live this life for maybe another 10, 15, 20 years and it is okay, right? It will be. But it, it, I will not, may not leave too many, too much of an impact on the world. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, I, I started getting a, a feeling after the executive MBA that I am not doing the, I am not utilizing my myself to the best of my capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should take something more challenging and uh, test it out, right? Because anyway, worst case, what will happen? That uh, you will fall, you will come back and start doing a job. The other benefit, of course, you have when you are in Sweden is that uh, uh, the education is state-sponsored as well as healthcare is uh, state health, right? Right. So I knew that, okay, worst case, my kid will not go without education. I will have my roti kapada makan is is solved. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What I I compromise on is my holidays, what a Mm. general lifestyle and all that. And I will give it a try for maybe two, three years. If it doesn't work, I will go back to, yeah, I will will take maybe a step down, but so be it uh, there. Uh, uh, Kind of a thing is the was was my uh, uh, view of things there. Wow. So, Shamik, you know, I am so happy that you have spoken your heart out and that you have bought all of this out because this is exactly what happens when someone at your age thinks about leaving the job. And this is the exact thought process. But the real difference happens when you make that leap of faith. When you jump across that cliff to reach the other side of the mountain and you are making your plane all the way down while you have jumped from the cliff now. Right. So that's the entire risk that we talk about. So thank you so much for putting it out in such a good way. And guys, this is where, you know, if you are in your corporate world and if you're willing to start something new, I would say do it. Because all these things will keep on happening then and there. And if your roti kapada mukhan is sorted, then it's good stuff. It's it's really, really good. You are in a good place. Does that you very well now know what you need to give up? Your holidays, your extra expenses, your unaccountable expenses like dinner parties and, you know, late night shows or whatnot. Some, will you give that up for some time, you might be reaping results for your lifetime. So... That's what Shamik has done. So Shamik, kudos to you. Like, legit kudos to you. So Shamik, once, once you did that, yeah. everything happened. Uh, how was the family support? Very good. So my wife had all, has always been that, hey, uh, I think you have got more potential. You should explore this kind. Uh, so she will always, even though I will be getting into something, I will feel comfortable, okay, 
yeah, all is settled. I'm do, I'm I'm getting my bonus and everything is good. And she will say, "Come on, you can do better. Uh, maybe you should do try out something else." So she has always been that kind of a pusher. Uh, okay. My parents have brought me up in a way that uh, yeah, you do what you wish, but yeah, I think you have a tremendous potential. So there 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 has always been a very, lot of positive vibes around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there uh, and I think uh, uh, that way they have. I know it has taken a sign. They have taken a significant amount of uh, step down when it comes to social life. Come uh, to I'm the only kid, right? So a lot of like holidays that I would do with my parents. It they have not happened for the last right. uh, four or five years. Uh, and at the age that they are in, because I think you want to do that. Then, mm-hmm. but I think they have been very very positive about the whole thing. That hey, and they are so proud that. Uh, we have achieved so much in in trust race. Even whatever, in, in even though we have been achieved only limited success, but I think I, I believe that uh, they for them I think they see it to be a big leap because my parents have been always a service class uh, from the middle class, right. middle service class kind of right. people, right. Uh, driven by lifetime uh, job and all that kind of uh, uh, views. Uh, but yeah, so it has been very good. Uh, uh, on your last point, when you when when you were finishing it off, I just remember one thing that mm. I actually tell to my uh, uh, younger cousins there mm. who are who are starting either they are starting their own restaurant or some entrepreneurial thing is right. that uh, uh, you live your life because of the stories you can tell to somebody, exactly. maybe your son or your exactly. grand uh, grandkids, right? Right. Uh, and that is, I think, your it's your biggest earning at the end of the day. And True. Not that I'm signing True. off now. <laughs> Maybe 30, 40 years down the line when right. I say it. I think what a journey of entrepreneurs tells you, right? The amount of stories you have. Like uh, we just get about like my, my many of our new employees, they join mm-hmm. and they say that, hey, we just go for a drink, a couple of beer with you and we finish up after three, four hours. And, right. and you and uh, uh, Rishi and Sarva and Madhav have got so many stories to tell. Right. So this is, I think, one of the biggest oh, earnings is. of this last five years. Right, true. Uh, there. And and such variety it is not like same boring okay i went i uh, I, I did this uh, presentation true, 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 i and i awed the people and all that true. like we uh, when i went in i came from a very very stable corporate life right mm-hmm. my ego was quite big right. <laughs> walking into a meeting where you are not able to connect with the audience right. and uh, the audience is clueless you are clueless uh, because you're mm-hmm. just pivoting your idea right and still Coming out and get and uh, feeling shit about yourself inside, but you still go with a smile. Right. I think I would not have done uh, in my corporate life if I had continued because I will have right. a, a group of four or five subordinates who will take most of this shit thing, right? And I will mm. typically be sitting in, in my ivory tower and say that, okay, mm. uh, giving some gyan. Whereas right. here, the gyan played on me. Right? <laughs> and it, it, you know, we, and in a way, it does fantastic to your uh, your age. Mm-hmm. So I think I grew to 40, then we did Trust Race, <laughs> or maybe Trust Race, I got full-time into Trust Race. Right. Actually, I think I have grown five years younger now. Absolutely. Oh my God, Shami, you know, I, I, I'm so, so happy you have said this point, I, and just makes me so much happier because, see, definitely, you know, I'm way too younger than you, but... 
this one thing has been there which i have always been saying to i don't know how many people that whatever might happen there need there needs to be some story you need to tell a story now if you do not have any story mm. to tell then why live a life i mean there needs to be yeah. some adventure in life so i'm so happy that you bought that out thank you so much for that yashamik thank you so much so shamik another thing if i have to say that or if i have to ask according to you where do you think so the seeds of entrepreneurship got sown into you uh i think there are couple of experiences that would have because i i grew up in a, a, a so I, my father used to work for bk builder group of companies right mm-hmm. uh, and they are in a certain way very entrepreneurial right uh you could right. see that uh, uh, mr builder will come and he will typically uh, uh say that okay we will open up a new factory and and the people who will show the maximum passion for it he will pick them up not by hierarchy right mm-hmm. uh there so i think that was one area where i saw that if you are ready to take certain risks i think the doors will open up by your own there number one uh hcl i would say is the second big chapter because it's a where it's it's i think a school where you learn uh autonomy and taking risk on your own one of the reasons that i stuck around in hcl for 15 years is because i think every two to three years i will go and tell to my manager whoever is the manager that i find this very boring i want a new exciting thing to do and then they will say okay you tell me what you want to do and then they will mm. facilitate me moving into a new geography a new role a new uh, industry or something like that, that they will allow me to do and they will and umpteen number of times i would have failed i would have screwed up things in there but my manager will say okay it's a learning move on right unlike many other uh, companies where i think uh, they they uh, hcl used to really celebrate failure and and we were taught to move mm-hmm. move on i was i think shit has happened uh, now we can only grow <laughs> go get better from there right, uh, right. there uh, third thing i think is when i post my marriage uh, i think uh, my wife kept on pushing me that hey you have been too long in mm-hmm. hcl do something else yeah, i know you are very very comfortable and all that do something else and then i jumped into global logic which was a uh-huh. uh, private equity driven company so I, mm-hmm. you have you you have a sword on your head always in such kind of setups so i think that was that was the final leap because then you feel that okay you do not have the you do not have so many friendships around you but you still have to perform and then you start building the right network and take it it it, it gets very very you are very very naked in there and that you are trying to take the right risks there yes i would say this broadly three four things and then you typically make yeah. and, and then a point comes like an exec mb and all that you say mm-hmm. this is the culmination of everything here come on let, let's take come on, the, let's do it ab to ab to bhagwan ishara kar raha hai ki kar lo upar se ishara aa raha hai exactly yeah 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 I and i think uh, if i go back to my uh-huh. go back to my uh, post engineering mm-hmm. uh, your favorite question right uh people will ask uh, at least in the slam book that what, what do you want to do after 5 uh-huh. years uh-huh. I, it I, maybe that was that that it was just bragging about it i will say that hey i will i will start a company of my own but which i never did for first 15 20 years i was super comfortable in the job mm-hmm. but then it comes back to you i think what you say at some point of time in your life actually plays back <laughs> to you true 
that's very true that happens yeah. that it's a subconscious stuff you know you won't even realize but your subconscious keeps working to make things happen in your conscious correct so it's a subconscious stuff you say something back in the time and then you know you, you see it happening after a few years has happened with me a lot of times so i can definitely vouch for that okay so shamik hmm. now tell me one of the biggest failures that you faced in your entrepreneurial journey and how did you get over it and what did what did you learn from it uh not one is the difficult thing so the biggest uh, that you can remember of when i asked the question so i i don't think we have come to an existential crisis in in our company right uh-huh. uh however i think what we have and i think we have taken certain calculated risks and i think some of these calculated risks have not worked out for example uh-huh. uh, we wanted to grow really big in lo- in large and ultra large companies in the in in uh, france and all i think that has got taken off for us we have made significant investments on it mm-hmm. uh, uh, there so you always hear this word that uh, the uh, culture is strategy every day right kind of a thing and you say the come on this i have i'm doing so well i have i'm building my business and all right. and then you go in uh, start expand so we started expanding into europe so nordics or the northern europe is very very homogeneous in mm-hmm. the in the way people think and work uh, and and that we felt that okay now i can go into germany i can go into france and i can start doing things so we did the same thing we said that okay now we have got great references in in nordics let's enter france and we set right. up a office there and all that kind of thing we did that yeah. <laughs> but nothing happened for us for almost uh, one one and a half two years there right. we had one initial customer there we had decathlon as a customer but that was wow. largely driven from decathlon india for us right uh, there uh, and uh, so now we had we had we just did a reset of our france operation and now we are again restarting there mm-hmm. and uh, actually yes this uh, culture you uh, you can believe that uh, if you have a strong strategy you can enter uh, you can you are like a global saas company and you can do it from one one place but i mm-hmm. think some of these markets have got so much amount of cultural uh, intonations i think you have to be very 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 local there uh, kind right. of thing uh, so i think that has been a big learning and, and for a company like ours uh, uh, every half a million dollars that we spent is a big sum of money for us uh, right uh, it is equivalent to almost maybe a, a hundred million that uh, a billion dollar company will be spending uh, there so it was a big spend for us uh, but yeah uh, we are still hopeful we at least the good news is that uh, the market acknowledges uh, that we are investing in that market and hopefully we will have a couple of good deals coming from the luxury segment in france that's it Yes. Wow. So that's that's a great one. How you have moved from that part? Okay. So Shamik, uh, we are almost at the end of the podcast. But before we actually end it, um, if you have to give out a business tip, what would that be? Ah, uh, I think uh, go for the calling. I think one of the biggest thing mm-hmm. is that uh, 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 the world is changing so fast. Mm-hmm. But at while it is changing so fast, in certain things, it is very very constant. uh if you are ambitious if you are uh, passionate about something 
i think you will find great friends uh, mm. who will come and start supporting right. uh, each venture that you take is a movement that you start uh, right. i don't know how much you uh, so uh, in phys- as per physics right we all are living in brownian motion the natural mm. state is chaos which is brownian motion right. uh, but uh, i think every every activity that you know can always have this Uh, effect across the ecosystem right. and you will typically will be joined by good like-minded people uh-huh. so go for the jump it is not really that big a risk because you will find your own group of uh, people you will find your own cocoon there mm-hmm. there uh in terms of business i would say given the world that we live in uh-huh. trust data uh, so go for good quality data anchor your decisions on good quality data mm-hmm. uh, because i think that data speaks the truth of course you have to look for the That's good true. quality data you cannot just look for superficial data hmm. guys these are two great mantras i would say right and the one which i would really like to point out because this has not been spoken around a lot of times which is data because data is in the present time and the times that we are living in right now data is the biggest thing like the biggest thing there's nothing beyond data data is numbers and numbers is data so if you are working with data you can do anything and that's absolutely true so if you're trying to create a tech startup see how you can work with data and how you can benefit the society and how you can make things better for anyone and add add value and you know as amigo said bring out that impact in the world right so that's very important So with that said, Charmik, we are at the end of the podcast, and you know I would want to thank you so much for coming on the show because it's been an amazing journey, amazing conversation that I've had with you, and there was so much to learn from you how you've got the stuff. And honestly, the whole idea is so good that I've enjoyed every bit of it, and I wish you nothing but just the best. And with that said, before we end, I would also want to congratulate you on raising your Series A round. So guys. Uh, when Chamik said that, you know, that they're they're growing slowly and everything, that was to his modesty. So kudos to your modesty, Chamik. But congratulations to your series, eh? Okay. So thank you so much, Chamik, for coming thank on the you. show, and thank it's been you. a pleasure talking to you. It has been a real pleasure talking to you, and I think yeah, you gave a good platform for people to speak out uh, very very openly. Thank Th- you, sir. Thank you so much, Chamik. Have a have a great time, and I, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks once again. See ya. Bye bye. I hope that you're able to take back something insightful from this podcast and apply it in your life to be a better version of yourself and add to your dhandoni soch. If you know someone whom you think should feature on my podcast and has a very inspiring entrepreneurial journey, then do drop me a DM on my Instagram S A R T H A K V A R S H N E Y Sarthak Varshney. Yeah, that's me. I'm the founder of SV Clicks and SV Clicks is the producer of this show. You can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn as well with the same name. If you're willing to listen to more of such unheard inspiring stories of the entrepreneurs, then don't forget to follow us by pressing that follow button on your podcast screen. Thank you for being such an amazing audience. Keep learning, keep growing. We'll be back soon. See ya.